Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number eight, my conversation with Michael Shirik. Later on, I call him Michael Chirik, and he corrects me. So now I know the proper pronunciation is Michael Shirik. We had a great conversation, uh, brought up a lot of mutual friends, and did as much as I could to cover his 45-year career as a professional juggler. Legendary man, legendary career. We'll get to that after, our, of course, our sponsors, starting with the IJA, International Juggling Association. I am life member number 84, and I've got a lot of advancement in both my social, my professional, my entire world when it comes to juggling has been influenced and advanced by my involvement with the IJA. So I suggest you check them out at juggle.org. If you're not a member, become a member today of the world's greatest juggling organization that's called the IJA. Uh, we have no other sponsors this podcast, so if you're interested in sponsoring an upcoming podcast, please let me know. There's always space on the podcast for some interested supporters. So now, let's get on to it. Let's get on to my conversation with the man himself, all the way from Bramson, where he's currently at a, in a performance in the afternoons, in a show called Laughternoon. Let's talk to Michael Shirik, legendary juggler Michael Chirik. What a pleasure for me to talk to Michael Chirik on the Drop Everything podcast. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm doing fine, Dan. How are you? Good, good. You know, when people talk about great jugglers, you know, they mention uh, their what they can do and, and their skills. But I'm really a big believer that a great juggler has a great juggling career. And you have had a 45-year career. And I think that puts you up with one of the legendary careers in all of juggling. That's my opinion. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, 45 years is a nice run. Hopefully I can go a little a little bit longer. 45 years is a good run. So far, so good. Now, what age are you shooting for? Do you have an age in mind or number of years left? Do you have a... No, I just I, I just have to go with the flow. You know, my next... Uh, I like to make it to 50, and then when I get to 50, see how things go, and maybe I can go a little further. But I just take, take every day as it comes. Who knows? You know, physical work, I'm still doing some physical stuff. So anything can happen. A hip, a thing can go out. Who knows? You know, just take it as it comes. So far. So your so professional good. career started when you were about 19 or, or earlier? Or? 18. Oh. I, I did my first show. Uh, was a few days before my 18th birthday. That was in 1969. And what kind of venue was that? It was a circus, a shrine circus. It was called the Texas Dates. It was a very popular show back then. I don't. I don't even think it's happening anymore. It was six weeks. We played major cities in Texas. Uh, the opening was in San Antonio. I was. Uh, I was in a display with my mother and another juggler, my mother in the middle, another juggler on one end, and, and me on the other end, and we did six weeks with that, and uh, it was, a, actually for the time, it was a very prestigious show, you know, it was, it was great for me to do that, my mother set that up, it went quite well, you know, I mean, I, I was really happy with it, and it was the start, it was the beginning of it. And what age did you start your, your, your practicing? Was there a certain time, obviously, growing up when you realized, hey, my folks are a little bit different than other people's folks? Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, I, um, I played around with it a little bit here and there, you know, I mean, I was really, uh, infatuated with Francis's work, even when I was a little kid and every, you know, and I, every, every time I'd see him, I'd, uh, try to emulate him, you know, we're talking, I was maybe eight or nine and that would last a couple of days, but I got serious when I went with my parents on a trip to, um, to Germany. My mother had a six month contract in Germany. They took me out of school. I was uh, 15, 16. And then I went to Germany with them, and, and I, I started, uh, I got uh, a guy there on the show, one of the stagehands. He made me three clubs out of uh, bowling pins, plastic bowling pins. I started, uh, you know, I started juggling with those, and I just kept going. Nobody thought I would stick with it. You know, I was, like I said, 15, 16 years old. 
nobody thought I would stick with it, and I did, and I kept juggling. At that time, I was like more into kickups. I was really into the kickups. I had seen Hugo Garrido, and right, I, was, right. I was actually more into the kickups at the time than I was the balls or anything else. I was really into the kickups. So I started with the, with the kickups, and I got fairly decent with that, and then I decided, and I just kept going. So what so led you to, to the style that we're kind of used to you doing, the large sort of volleyball manipulation? Was that, how'd you well, pass you know, it from the clubs into that? Well, I just, you know, I, I looked around and there was so many, I was traveling in Europe and I'd seen so many, you know, with my, with my mother before I was even juggling, I was traveling with my parents before I had my act, you know, like I said, doing, you know, practicing and, and I'd, we'd see different shows here and there and I'd seen so many Spanish jugglers, man, that they were just outstanding with, with kickups. I mean, just incredible. And I said, oh, these guys are like really good. <laughs> and I, I didn't, I mean, I was decent, you know, nothing extraordinary. So um, I just started with the ball spinning, and this this came natural. The the, the you know the, the stick and ball work. This came really natural. I had a natural feel for it, and I just I did the I did three sticks for a while in the act the first couple of years, and then I I decided to get rid of them. And then after three or four years of doing sticks in the beginning, I just started just doing the, the ball work, and I just stuck with that. And I figured I'll just specialize with this. So now we originally booked as Michael Brun. Was that your first performing name? The, the first two years. The first two years I used that name Brun, and then um. I got uh, I got fairly decent, and I said, you know, and I just use my own name. Now, name. Uh, hopefully, we're educating some people about the history of juggling through these podcasts. Did you mind giving me a little rundown of who your mother and uncle were and what their place were in juggling? Well, Francis and Lottie. I mean, they 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 came to this country with uh with uh I mean to the USA with Ringling back around forty seven forty eight. They were working together, and they they stayed together here in the states for about three years. And then they uh, and then they split up. Uh, I don't know what, what exactly. Did you want well, to know? As far as a lot of people, the names Lottie and Francis Brun hopefully means something to everybody. But I think a lot of the new style jugglers, if it hasn't happened in the last five years or so, mm -hmm. uh, maybe some of this great history has been lost. Right. So the fact that what sort of start so they came from Germany and where well, they, they came from Germany yeah, and they were they, their parents they started were a circus family or how did they start the whole ball rolling so to speak. No, no. My, my grandfather he, he had a um he had a restaurant in, in a Schaffenberg, Germany. He had a restaurant there. And it was also a combination. It was a restaurant and it was also like a gymnasium, a turnholler. That's uh, I mean Francis he learned gymnastics, you know, before he even before he could even juggle. He was doing gymnastics and, and he was also a, a diver. Grandfather was a, a diving champion in Germany at the time. And uh, Francis had those skills, you know, before he ever started juggling, uh, you know, the, the tumbling. and So he was quite athletic to begin with. Oh, yeah, he was athletic way before he ever decided to juggle, you know, that's so you can see that in his work. He did all the, all the, all the gymnastics. So his style had a lot of uh, gymnastics moves and dance yeah, I mean, in moves. the beginning, I mean, in the beginning, before he went out on, a, he changed his style. Uh, he even did more gymnastics back in the beginning, you know, when he first started out in the, in the early 40s and stuff. And who influenced him? I mean, who were the jugglers he was watching around that time? I guess he had seen Rastelli, I think. I don't really know. I mean, he knew, I think he knew later of all the, of all the jugglers like Toledo and Rastelli. I mean, it's seen all, all of them, I think, in one way or another. So, and he's um, moved into the ball work mostly. I mean, he yeah. juggled the clubs, but he certainly was known more as a, the ball. Yeah, in the beginning, you know, yeah, he, he did the, the three clubs. And the, I mean, the sticks like they, that they had, you know, mm -hmm. the silver sticks that my, my family uses. But he never got into that too much. I mean, just, uh, Basic stuff, you know. Actually, those sticks they were using—it's not you couldn't really do that much with them. That they were made just for juggling fast. That's what they were. Those sticks were made for, just to juggle fast. You know, it's not you know they could do it behind the back a little bit, stuff like that. But they were just 
made to, to really juggle fast. So he was doing lots of tumbling and diving, then he picked up <laughs> juggling as just sort of a, a hobby, a sideline to... Well, no, he just started, he got interested in it, you know, through, um, I think my grandfather started juggling stones. He learned how to juggle three stones when he was in a French prison camp. He was juggling stones, you know, in this uh, French prison camp during the, the, during the First World War. Uh, I think he kind of showed him, showed Francis how to juggle. And then he started, and I, he just got interested in it, you know, and started juggling. And then your mom, how, how long before she started juggling? Well, I guess around the same time they started, and they started, and they started working together. And then what age was he when he started his first uh, professional gigs? Oh, God. You know, I'm not exactly sure. He was probably 16, 17, I imagine they were. Did they always, did they start together? Was she like his assistant at first? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. In the beginning, they, they were they were working together. She did a lot in the beginning. You know, she did quite a bit. And then was his big break coming to like Ringling Brothers? Was that sort of the start of a, his work in America? Yeah, they left Germany during the war. They went to Sweden because of the, you know, the war. They were practicing and the bombs were falling there and they got out of, they got out of Germany, you know, and they were, uh, they went to Sweden and they stayed there a few years. John Ringling North had seen them somewhere and he brought them over. And would you say you grew up sort of on the circus lot? Was that your, your childhood? In the beginning, yeah. You know, before I went to school, I, uh, not only circuses, but I was, you know, I was, uh, my mother had worked a lot of, a lot of nightclubs and things like that, different shows in Las Vegas and different nightclubs. Back in those days, there was a lot of nightclubs, supper clubs around, not just Las Vegas. Vegas, but they were all over the place. It was different. You know, there was a lot of work back then, a lot of things going on. And they had variety, they used variety acts, you know. So yeah, between those things and circuses, I was always around them in the beginning before I went to school, before I had to go to school. So you started your career then in the circuses. Uh, how long were you there before you sort of um, branched out into other types of venues? Nothing. I, you know, I did, I did that circus in, uh, in Texas. And then I went with my mother also. We did a, a thing in Hawaii. And that was like for two or three weeks. We went to Hawaii, and then I went, came back, and we did a. Uh, my mother set up an audition for the Globetrotters because she had worked the Globetrotters in '68. She had worked uh, with the Globetrotters, and uh, she set up an audition in Chicago. I went and did it, and and they used me, and they hired me. So in seven, you, you were with them for several years, weren't you, for the, with the Globetrotters? I was with them for. I was with them on and off for 13 years or oh. 12 years. I was with them from '71. To 83, I did my last uh, thing in 83, uh, on and off. You know, I did, um, I did four European tours. Or th no, I did three European tours with them. I did uh, two world tours and two U.S. tours. And that was all within from 71 to 83. And what you was know? traveling with the Harlem Globetrotters like? Did you travel on a bus? Were you all together? Yeah, yeah, we tra I traveled on the, on the Globetrotter bus, you know, with them. And yeah, we, you know, we, we traveled uh, by bus and by plane. It was great. I mean, I was young. It's a young, that, that's for young people, man. You know, I don't think I, I couldn't do that tour now, especially the U.S. tour, because you're traveling almost every day. You talk about being on the road. That's the real road. I mean, that's what the road is. We, you know, those tours were six months long and uh, we had no day off and you worked every day. So, so no day off for six months. We had four days off for Christmas. That was it. <laughs> right. We worked every day. They, we always look forward to getting to Australia because uh, you can't work on Sundays. Whenever we got us, uh, whenever we, we were in Australia, we, we spent a lot of, a lot of the world tours on Australia, we'd be there three or four months, you know, out of a, or maybe three months out of a six-month tour, we'd spend maybe three months in Australia, doing the major cities, and some days we were always off, and it was really nice to, to have that. How many acts would they bring along with them? Well, in the old days, I mean, they had up to six acts at one time. When I first joined them, I think the first, first tour I went out with them, they had six acts, and then slowly it got less and less, you know, and the last, I put it this way, the first tour I did with them, they had six acts. The last tour I did, maybe three. They had two acts. Right. They had one in the beginning and one in the 
in, in the middle. And I knew right then on that last tour that this was over, that it was finished for the acts and I could see the attendance in a lot of the buildings playing high school gyms and we couldn't even fill them up. And I said, oh man, this is the end of, the, end of an era here because this is, this is going to, you know, it's a new generation and just ain't happening anymore. And, and a few years, uh, was the end of an era. I remember seeing uh, Barrett Felker. Mm -hmm. There was several acts. I think uh, the Laoup family, I think Don Laoup was in the show. Oh, Don Lope. Don, is that how you pronounce it? Lope? La Lope, yeah. Gus and Ursula's kid. Yeah. Martin Lamberti, is that the... He, did a, he, did a, he was a great juggler, but he, did a, he was doing a head balancing act. Yeah, I worked with him too. Um, we did, a, we did, I did my last tour with him in 83. It, it was just me and him. We did our last tour, a U.S. tour together. It was just myself and Martin. We were the only ones on the show. We were the only acts. So I remember seeing that and thinking like that was something I'd wanted to do. Mm -hmm. By the time I could even consider it, it was, it was not a, a job that was left. Yeah, it was over. Now, now it's, it's nothing now. I mean, I mean, can you name a Globetrotter? Can you well, name I was the second name probably when I was a kid, like Metal Ark Lemons. No, no, no. Can you name one Globetrotter from now? I want to say there's a guy on American Ninja Warrior that, that competed on that show, so I know him from that. He's a Globetrotter? Or ex-Globetrotter. Maybe his name was Bullard, maybe? Yeah, I don't know any of the new guys. I never heard of any of them. And, you know, it, it, guys like Curly Neal and, and, and Geese and, and, sure. and, and Metal Ark, I mean, those are, you know, those at the time, they were, you know, they were like, you know, big, big stars, man. But, oh, I grew up I with mean, the Globetrotters. You'd see them on Gilligan's Island. And the cartoons. Scooby-Doo, yeah. they'd show up to, to help solve crimes. Yeah, I mean, traveling with them in the beginning was almost like traveling with a rock show. I mean, you know, you'd come out of the building, you know, at the end, you go to the bus and there was, you know, kids on adults all over the place looking for autographs. It was a big deal, you know, and. And everybody wanted to work that show, you know. I mean, every act wanted to go with the Trotters. You know, it was a, it was a great touring show. You know, they, it was good. It was good. Good work. Any close calls on some of those travels? Any? Uh, well, a lot adventures? of bad plane flights. A lot of bad plane flights back then. You know, <laughs> especially in South America. You know, landing on grass runways, that sort of thing. And little little towns in South America didn't even have airports. You know, you just you'd land on grass. You know, it was, was kind of hairy, but. I would never do stuff like that. Now, back then, you don't even think about it. You know, I'm 20 years old, 19, who cares? You know, you just, you just do things. But, you know, you think, you think more now about doing the things you did then. Sometimes we used to joke about, what are we, mercenaries here? You know, it's just, it was crazy, some of the traveling, you know. And back then, I mean, you know, you go away for six months, you go overseas. It's not like now. If you're going over there now, it's like almost, you know, you got Skype, you got this, you got that. You're always in contact over there. There, back then, I mean, I mean, you couldn't even get a phone card. You have to go out, call home, you know, from your hotel, which cost a fortune at the time, or, you know, get a $10, $15, $20 worth of change and go to a payphone, and the connection was always terrible. So, I mean, traveling was different back then than it is now, you know. So. And then when you went to get other gigs, how, how was that done? Did you send videotapes? Was it videotape then, or VHS, no, but, or, or films? No. Or? Well, yeah. You, well, you know, a lot of times I was seen. They would see me somewhere. One of the best jobs I had early on was um, that really helped me helped me uh, get on the move was this, um, this review show for Barry Ashton in Miami. I did uh, six months with that show, which was just, you know, at the time, Barry Ashton shows were the, the best shows, the best review shows you could work. Francis had done them, Montego had done them, and they had all the best acts. And I got lucky because I, I went to Hawaii again in, uh, in around 73, I was there and I was performing in the end ring, my mother in the middle and a, and a, a juggler named Nino Santos on the other end. And this guy, Wolf Kutchman, he was partner of Barry Ashton. He was the partner and he would, he would look for the acts and he flew all the way to Hawaii to find, um, to, to see an act, a chimp act. He just wanted to see this act because he was thinking about using him. 
So he went and he came to Hawaii and he saw the act and by coincidence, he happened to catch my act. I was working in the end ring and he caught my act. And as soon as I got out of the ring, he came to me and says, you know, I love your act. How would you like to work for me? And I said, wow, you know, that's (laughs) great. Right. And um, he didn't use the chimp act, but a year later he wound up using me. So, you know, it's just, I got lucky, you know, I mean, I did, I happened to do a good show. I got lucky and and got into that, uh, that thing. So. It worked out really well. So that was a, was a major thing for me to, to get that show. And I'd only been, you know, juggling about, you know, I'd been doing my act about four or five years. And it's, it was, that show really helped me out. Because you kind of hit all the different venues. And sometimes like these review shows, mm-hmm. where, where I saw most of the jugglers I saw when I was growing up, like when I was 16 or 17, that idea of the review show almost doesn't right. exist anymore. Right. Well, yeah, there's hardly anything anymore. I mean, uh, that was my, I mean, I consider that my thing. I mean, of, of all the venues I do, that, that's my favorite thing to do. Unfortunately, there's not much of that left. So now in ships, I mean, when I started doing ships in the 70s, I was going on ships with a seven-minute act, and they were thrilled. I mean, they were thrilled. I'd open for the, for the cruise director. Or, you know, I'd open for a comic. I'd open for a multi-instrumentalist. And they were absolutely thrilled with my act. And I did seven minutes. This was like around 77, you know. I mean, they, they'd never seen that before. It was, you know, there were smaller ships, but classy. You know, people paid a lot of money back then to get on a ship. It wasn't something everybody did like it is now. So, I mean, I'd do these ships and, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd be do, ending my act with a round-off back somersault. They'd never seen that on a ship before, I don't think. Fairly low ceilings. It, it, it was great. You try getting on a ship with a seven-minute act now. I mean, you'd have, you'd have to be in a review show to do that. Yeah, if you came on as part of a circus show, that's the only way. Be, uh, they want you to be that evening's entertainment. Yeah, and now you have to do your own show, which you know is totally not not something I I, I do and or, or would want to do. It's just not my thing, you know. I mean, I I congratulate people who do that, but it's to go out there for forty five minutes an hour. It's just not for me, and it's too late for me to start that, you know. <laughs> so you, you prefer like your act is what about eight minutes? Is is that well? I mean, I can do. I can. I don't. You know, when I get to a point where I'm starting to drag people up constantly from the audience then you know my act doesn't work because it's it's all about just moving and i, I want to build up a thing there again. right get the people excited and i don't want to let them down you know i don't i don't want to bring them down and i'm not a comedian really i mean i have a little humor in my act now but for me i mean if i do uh, i can do a, a, a nice 15 minute spot that i'm happy with and i was working ships you know recently and i do 15 and i go out and do another 10 but a lot of it is just junk and i just i don't want to do that it's just not for me well you came so, up with a certain classic style in a certain time where it's just hard to change it now. It's just hard to get into this. You know, I'm 63 years old, and it's kind of I'm going to start doing this now. You know, it's just, it's well, just. Too- I think most jugglers they didn't come up now to having perfected an act. Like they're they're good at juggling a lot of different things, maybe different props. They never perfected that base eight minutes. Of, this is my art. This is what I, if you give me eight minutes. This is what I'm going to do. And back you know, then people people perfected that for years. It's kind of funny, you know. I I did this. Th- um, another nice job I did when, when I got a call from Debbie Reynolds, like back in the, I don't know, it was the late 70s. I was working at Circus Circus and I got a call. Somebody had recommended me for Debbie Reynolds to open her show in, uh, in Sparks Nugget. You probably worked Sparks Nugget, right? No, is that the one uh, where they had the elephant? In Sparks, yeah, Tina and, Tina and Bertha. Yeah, I talked to Dan Menendez and he said what a nice job that was. Right, I was talking with, with Dan on Facebook and he had talked, to, we, we talked about that. I, I was working, uh, I got a call, I went with Debbie Reynolds to Sparks, and I did my seven-minute act to open her show, and it went really well, you know, it was like three weeks, and it was great, went back to Las Vegas, and then I get a call from her about, you know, six months later, and she wanted me to go back with her to do this thing in Texas, this theater in the round called Casa Manana, House of Tomorrow. I said, yeah, sure, fine, and she said, the only thing is, I need you to do, because I did like seven minutes with her, 
And she said, the only thing, I got to have 10 minutes for a costume change. And I said, oh, man, 10 minutes. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll do it. So I got off the phone, we set that up, and I'm saying to myself, what the hell am I going to do for three minutes? I just couldn't, I, I, and I just thinking and thinking and thinking. And then finally I say, wait a minute, let me try that thing with the stick in the ball with the audience, man. I could maybe do that. I said, yeah, I'll do this. I bet I can do two minutes, two more minutes with that. So that's what I wound up doing. And that went over so good that I, I never took it out. I said, man, humor, I need to do some humor in this. Like, that's it. And I developed that. And now, I mean, it's like I've become a major thing in my act some good lines and I back then I did a lot of slides and falls and you know and it worked so good and thanks to her I put that in because if it wasn't for that I probably would have never done that it, it was great but it, it, it's just so weird that at the time the way we thought three minutes that means I got to do something for three minutes I can't just go out and do nothing and just I heard a story just, about a, a juggler I'm not sure who this is attributed to that they needed him to add a couple minutes to his act mm -hmm. what he did is he moved his prop stand farther away <laughs> it just took him longer to walk to his prop stand. Clever, but I mean, you know, I, the way I think now, I mean, I could have thrown anything in there. But at the time, the way we thought then was, man, you actually have to do something. And I said, well, man, it took me like seven years, eight years just to put this seven-minute act together. Now I got to add three minutes. What the hell am I going to do? It's just the way we thought. We thought you had to do something really good to add three minutes. But I don't think like that anymore because it's not like that now. You know, you can right. do anything. The people listening, the, the routine you're talking about is, You'd give a ball out to people in the audience. It fit, it fit what I was doing because I did, you know, I do a nice stick and ball routine. It's, it's one of my best things, and it, it fit perfectly in the act. So they toss it up to you. Again, I catch it. But I, I did it, you know, quite well at the time when I was younger. I mean, I, I did a lot of slides. I did a lot of a lot of things that you don't really even see people do because it's it's just really hard on the body. The whole mouth stick genre is pretty um, fallen by the wayside. Do you think it's it's hard to learn or just not as well, accessible to modern audiences? I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I see some people doing it. I don't know. It's a hard. It's hard to do that work. People think it's not. It's not hard, but it's it's difficult, man. Because this kind of work with the balls to me, is like the most physical work you can do in juggling. I mean, because you use every part of your body if you're doing it right. If you're doing great stuff, if you're doing it right, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you got to do. You're using your legs. You're using your arms. I mean, you're using uh, your head. You're using your back. You're bending constantly. This is a hard type of work to do, man. You're, I mean, it's hard on the body. With, with toss juggling, as hard as it is, you're using basically your shoulders. I mean, your arms, your shoulders. I mean, you're using those muscles. With the ball work, the large balls, I mean, you're using everything, man. You're always bending. You're always, you know, doing this kind of thing. So it's rough on the body. And if you're doing a hard stick and ball routine, that means you're, you're tumbling. You're doing all that stuff. How was that trick, the uh, three-ball back roll, physically over the years? I tried that one. Uh, you know, it, it was too tough I, for me. I can't do it anymore. You know, I can't do it. I, I, I can't. Since the last two years, I can't get, I can't get, I can do it with just two balls. The way I do it now, I just do it in my two ball spinning routine and I roll over with the two because the mouth stick, which to me, I mean, that was a simple trick. It was one of those tricks that I, I, I mean, I did it every day, but I didn't even have to practice it. I could, I could walk away from that trick for a year and come back right. and do it. But now I, I just can't get my head over anymore. And I've tried to modify the stick and, and bend it a certain way. So I don't have to put my head over and that worked for a couple of years. But now, I just the last couple of years, I got, I got to a point now where I can't, um, just can't get my head over. So finally, I just had to, had to take it out. So. Yeah, if people look at your website, they'll see the picture. And it's a, a ball spinning on each finger. Right. A ball, it's like kind of a straight mouth stick on an angle coming out. It's actually, it, that's, um, I think Rudy Cardenas probably invented that trick. He's the first one I ever saw do it. And I look back at, at movies of different jugglers and never seen anybody do it before Rudy. So that might be his, his thing, you know. That might be his trick he invented. It's a great trick. It's a great audience trick. It's really, I was really, 
really sad when I had to take that out, man, because slowly, you know, as you get older, little things that are really important in your act, you, you wind up having to take out just because of, <laughs> because of your age and physically you just can't do it, you know, so what are you going to do? Do you find that um, the reflex is necessary for juggling, not just the, the physical shape of your body? Do you find that just the ability to move quick enough has been impacted or just uh, that the re or is the feel still there? I guess that's what I'm trying to ask. Yeah, I mean, well, no, I mean, I, I, I don't feel when I'm when I'm doing it now. I, I, I don't feel like I used to, you know. Mm. Uh, it, it's not the same anymore. I mean, it, it's all different now. My whole my whole rhythm is it's just it's all slowed down. I mean, I just I can't do it anymore. I, I could do it. I mean, if somebody wanted to watch, I could. There's a lot of stuff I could do, but I do it in rehearsal. I could probably even do the three balls rolling over if somebody said, "Hey, I want to film that just once." And okay, so we were talking about the the sort of the toll that the juggling has taken on your body, and I was asking. Um, if you feel physically different and you were describing how well yeah i mean my whole rhythm is is not what it was you know i mean i haven't the last i i'd say when i hit my late 40s which is quite a while ago when you think about it you know everything kind of changed when i was 47 48 things started changing slowly i started changing my act around because i knew i could see what was coming you know so i i what i started doing was i realized that i was getting to a point where i wasn't going to be able to do a lot of this so i i basically in my in my late 40s, I started changing the act around. Uh, what I did was I took things out of an act, a second spot I was doing for cruise ships, and I took the like the golf club balance and things like that, and I took those things and started incorporating them into my main act. Right. To ch so the whole rhythm now is not what I you know I used to come out with the nunchucks and all that stuff, and I, I just couldn't do it anymore. You know, it's just too hard on on everything. And um, so I took the, I came out with, you know, I started doing the golf clubs in the opening. I have a little bit, a little comedy bit I do in the beginning. I mean, it still moves, but it's not, it's nothing. It's not like it was, you know, I mean, it's all right. It, it's, it's, I'd say it's a, a decent act. I, I wouldn't try to sell it to the Lido or anything, but I still can work the things that I know that I'm, I'm not good enough for, you know, I just want to hang in the business and do some dates, you know, and work. And how old was your uncle? How old did he work till into his seventies? Into his seventies. Yeah. Yeah, he was working into his 70s. I mean, he wasn't doing what he used to do, but, you know, Francis, he got by with just his style and his name. You know, that's all he needed. People mm -hmm. just wanted to see him. It's like seeing, seeing Frank Sinatra, you know, during the later years. You know, you just want to see the guy. So, it was, you know, it's different. I don't have that kind of name, so I got, you know, I, I can't do that. Now, when you look back, like you mentioned some of these jugglers, I'm going to be a few names because maybe you know these guys personally or you have some recollection of them. And like I say, part of this podcast really is to further the historical archives of of the past jugglers so that we don't forget them. And certainly a guy like yourself, like I say, who's been through this whole long span of, of this his time in sort of modern juggling history. So I'm going to give you a couple of names. Maybe uh, you can give me some recollections or what you thought about their style or, or them as people even. Yeah, sure. Uh, so what about Bobby May? You ever, ever run into him? I, you know, I, I met Bobby. I was working a circus back around 73. And we played Youngstown, Ohio. Bobby came down to the show, and that was uh, that was the first time I met him. Nice guy, really nice. And and I remember it was an outdoor date, and it was windy, and you know that kind of thing. It was a, it was a circus, and we were set up in a fairground. And uh, I met him there. I even have some film of him, uh, some eight millimeter footage, standing with him and my mother standing there. And was he already retired at that time, or did you get oh, to see him work? Or yeah, this was in '73. Oh yeah, he was long retired, and he, he came to the show with Emily. I th yeah, I think Emily, his wife, Emily, was there too, if I'm not mistaken. And that was the, the, the one time I met him. Yeah, he was really nice. He was a really nice guy. You know? he was really yeah, I got nice. to meet him one time. I was at a convention. Uh, mm -hmm. I was standing with uh, Kit Summers, or Kit Summers brought him over. Right. And he said, oh, you should watch you know, Dan Juggle. He's got some interesting three-ball stuff. So I did a little bit. And I remember what he said to me. He said, 
which way to the cafeteria? <laughs> says that way, sir. That's funny. <laughs> that was my one interaction with Bobby May. Of course, I was a yeah huge fan. I used to watch his his uh, his film. I think it was from La Scala. Yeah, oh yeah, it's a great that's a great film. Yeah, he was great, great American juggler, man, for sure. He was great. And what about another one of my my favorites, Rudy Horn? Yeah, Rudy is great too. Yeah, I never saw him live. I never met him. Never met him. Never saw him live. But I mean. I've heard so much about him. I mean, Francis always used to say, oh, man, this guy, the technician, a technician. He always used that word, technician, technician. You know, Francis was crazy about him. I know I know, Ernie Montego also was crazy about him, you know. Well, he was one of those guys who, who started so young. There seemed to be some jugglers right. who, by the time they're 9 or 10, are already phenomenas. Yeah, Rudy was great. Fantastic juggler. I mean, it's incredible. I, I watch films of him now. Just uh, his his bit on the unicycle at the end, you know, is at the end of his act with the cop with the cups. Mm-hmm. The way he sells that bit, I was watching a film of him recently. I don't know where he is. He might. I know he worked at the Dunes in Las Vegas for quite some time in the mid '60s, and this might have been filmed there. But the, he comes so close to the edge of the stage, and I watch this film and I say, "My God, you know, he's he's got the cups on his head, and it's not the, so much the trick; it's just the way he's selling this thing." the stage there i mean it's like three feet from the edge of the st- i mean like three or four inches from the edge of the right at the edge of the stage you know and i'm saying to myself my god that's incredible the way he you know he's the way he knows where to go and because you do the cups you have to look straight on you know it's not like you're looking down to see where, the, where you are so and, to describe uh, to the audience he's on like a six foot unicycle a six foot unicycle and he's throwing the coffee cups up to his uh, to his head from his foot. It's like a saucer, then a cup, then a right. Then he, then, then usually they throw up a, a spoon up there, and sometimes they throw a little cube of sugar up there. Yeah, and but then it, when he has them all, he starts riding around a little bit, you know, on this film. I don't know if he does it every show, but he just he would ride around and then get to the edge of the stage. I mean, just so close to the edge of the stage, and you just think he's going to go over, and he pulls it back, and it's just it's just phenomenal, man. It's just so good. The way he's, I mean, selling is everything, and the way he sold that trick is just incredible. And I just, heard that after he retired, he became like a tennis pro. Yeah, I, I heard that too. Yeah, a heard, nice way to go, you know, a nice uh, second career. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he, he was really into tennis. You know, a lot of people get into different things after. Well, speaking of that cups and uh, saucers trick, that leads mm-hmm. me to my next juggler, Dieter Tasso. Oh, yeah, Dieter, yeah, he's, well, Dieter is a legend, just like uh, Rudy Horn, you know. Dieter is uh, one of my, I don't have a lot of inspirations anymore, but Dieter is one of them, just for the career he's had and he's still going and it's, it's amazing, you know, Dieter's amazing. He's, he's just great. You know, and he's a nice guy. I mean, I've met him many times uh, in Las Vegas. He used to come to circus circus sometimes and watch me work back in the seventies. Yeah. He's just, you know, he's great. What are you say? Now this might put you on the spot though. Who do you feel has had the greatest career as a juggler? I mean, it's not the greatest juggler, but maybe who really had the best run. Would you put Dieter Tasso at the top because of his longevity or, Oh, yeah, you mean just, uh, oh, yeah, well, he's, I mean, there's so many. I mean, there's a lot of them who've had really long runs. Dieter's one, you know, Francis had a great career in just the places he worked, and, yeah, but there's so many, it's it's hard yeah. to, you know, I, I, I guess it's I a combination just, of the type of venues you've worked, or you worked, the kind of variety I mean, you had. Yeah, I mean, look at Chris Kramer's career. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, man, the places this guy's worked. I mean, Chris is incredible, man. I mean, just he keeps going, too, and, you know. It just worked the best places constantly. You know, Picasso, another one. He had a great career, man. He, he all he did was great jobs. I mean, he's he went from Ringling, and then uh, he went to the well. He did a couple things in between. No, he went to Ring. He was with Ringling. Then he went with Knie, and then he went to the MGM, and he was there forever. You know, I mean, just incredible career. I mean, just the best the best places, and not a lot not a lot he of. Did stuff. the the three props? <laughs> so he did the balls. Yeah, he did that. Well, he did the, 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 balls. the balls. And he, balls. He, 
he's probably the one you know that he probably is the one who made that popular because he was all over the world. Uh, a lot of uh, sort of misconceptions on who started that trick initially, the, the ping pong balls. I heard some of that called the Bellinis. Uh, Belladinis. Belladinis. Belladinis brothers, but they did it, I think, back and forth. Mm. They did it, you know, they did it. Which sounds pretty nasty, spitting ping pong balls from mouth to mouth. A little nasty, yeah. I, I, you know, you wouldn't want to do that in a, in a dinner show. But I tell you, um, the first time I saw that trick was um, I worked with a, a group, I mean, a, a couple I didn't really work with them, but it, when I was touring Japan in the, in the 70s, mid-70s, I, I did a six-month run in Japan, in Tokyo. And we stayed in this hotel there. I got to know this, this uh, brother and sister act named Valente Valente. Mm, I saw them in Vegas. Okay, okay. Yeah. okay. No, I saw guy, them in, in Paris. Guy, it was the first time I saw ping pong balls. This was um, uh, actually the first time I saw, uh, I met him in, in 75, but the first time I saw him was in 68. He was at the Tropicana, and, uh, or 67. He was at the Tropicana with his sister. And that was the first time I saw ping pong balls, 1967 at the Tropicana. But then I worked with him later in, in Japan, and we hung out a little bit. He was a real nice guy, you know. I don't, the I don't thing I remember he... about him was his, he had great control over three. He did three uh, in columns so close to the top, not that far from his head, like maybe yeah. two or three feet high. He was actually very good with the uh, – his, his, uh, his, um, his uh, sister did a little bit with the ping pong balls too, and, she, and they had a – it was a classy-looking act. It looked really classy, you know. They, he, did nice, he did nice club work. He also did the plates, but he had a very, they had a very elegant style. They looked really good, and it was, it was nice. I really liked that act a lot. Valente, Valente, yeah, nice act. And on that same trip, I saw who I think, and I imagine you would concur, the greatest ping pong ball juggler ever. Tony Furcos. Tony Furcos. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's my man. I actually just worked with him. Like I was working with in their show here when they were in, uh, when they were here in Branson. They they were here for a few months, and I I, I did a pre-show for them. It was great to work. I mean, Tony, I I met Tony. Uh, when I was touring with the Globetrotters, I met him in Spain, 1971 or 72. He came to a Globetrotter game. I met him. He told me who he was. And this was way before they ever, you know, went to Las Vegas or anything. They were working with a circus there in Spain. And then I, um, the next day, I, I went uh, to see their to see their show because we were staying in a place in a few days in Spain there with the Trotters. And I went to see Tony, and I knew then already, man, oh, man this guy is phenomenal. With the three club, very underrated juggler, Tony. Because it's great. I mean, a lot of people don't know him, but his club work, yeah. everything he does is great. But not only juggling, I mean, acrobatics, too. I mean, they did such a great uh, a great swing act, man. Just tumbling and just a phenomenal juggler, man. And I think the best chest and teeth. You know. Oh, yeah. Good <laughs> smile. Good smile. No, but yeah, Tony's a great, you know, he's, I consider him a good friend. And, a, and, a, and a, I mean, he's a great juggler, you know. I mean, his, his three club work, is his kick-ups, all his stuff. And he's still going now, man. He's still working. He's about my age, a little, few years younger than me, and he still looks great, man. But their thing so, basically is the big cats, right? They do, like do a big illusion show as well. The cats, yeah, they got into the cats. You know, they got into the to the magic thing. You know, later because uh, that's what they did, and they got into that. But he still does his juggling. You know, he still wants to do his juggling. He still practices, and we practiced together a lot when he was here. And who's cooler than his brother, Ferdinand? Ferdinand, great guy. Yeah, he's <laughs> another, another one. We had we had some good times here, and, and and in Las Vegas too. We had, I mean, Las Vegas in the '70s was a great place because it was all these acts, and it was easy to get together. A lot of jugglers, a lot of performers, and it was it was different than the town now. It's so big, and it's like L.A. now. But back then in the 70s was a great time in Las Vegas because we'd all get together, and you'd go over to the Pepper Mill, or you'd go over to this place, that place, and you'd hang out. You know, it doesn't really, it's not like that anymore. You don't have that, that, that kind of thing going on. It's different now. It's cold. It's well, a cold place. There. I started going there with first with my parents when I was, a, you know, I think I went like 11. Because I remember my dad took me to see Elvis Presley. Really? Did yeah. you see Elvis? Oh man, that's fantastic! You saw him at the International. Yeah, yeah. I saw him at the International. He was doing uh, 
That's you great, man. With the scarves, and you throw out mm-hmm. the hound dogs. And That's great. You saw them. They saw what him. I remember was he used to take off his scarf, and he'd wipe right. it his arms. He'd wipe off the and sweat. Then, and throw it in there to the audience. And the, women, the girls would go crazy for it. The women, I'm like, why do they want his sweaty... <laughs> <laughs> the thing I liked the best were the karate kicks. You know, I was 11. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's great, man. You know, it's, it's good to say you, you got to see Elvis, man. That's terrific. Yeah, we saw him, and then they took us to see Liza Minnelli. And next to, next to Elvis... Uh, yeah, well, an 11-year-old boy, Liza Minnelli, was not my... Yeah, I know, Elvis, but Elvis, uh, you know, Elvis. Got I used to go when I was, like, 16, 17, a friend, friends of ours would drive to the Vegas, basically see jugglers, because we couldn't gamble. And that brings me to another, one of the first jugglers I ever saw, Albert Lucas. Was he uh, a friend of yours, a contemporary, certainly around the same age, or maybe a few yeah, years younger? I don't really, you know, I don't really, I met him a few times, you know, but I, I really don't know Albert, you know, I, I don't really... I, mean, I met him here in Branson, actually, he's here right now. Oh, okay. But I've met him, you know, I've met him numerous times, but I never really, you know, knew him that well. Or, My first encounter with him was he was with the Ice Capades. I knew there was a juggler with the Ice Capades. So I went by myself and I was such a kook that I took my devil stick with me. Just like, just in case I could get backstage and show the juggler that I also juggled. Right, right. And uh, so I, somehow I went to the security and I said, can you tell the juggler that another juggler is here? Albert Lucas could not have been nicer. Yeah. You now showed me backstage. Introduced me his dad, his brother. Right. right. And uh, I always remember that because if someone brought their devil sticks to my show now, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, "That's pretty kooky." Yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, Albert's a great juggler. I mean, I've seen. You know, I don't think I saw him ever work a lot. Well, I did. I, I saw him with Ice Capades as well. But this was—he was just a kid. This was like in seventy, in Atlantic City. I saw him when I was working uh, close by. I, I went to see him in Atlantic City. I think he was with the Ice Show. I saw him once in a theater in Atlantic City, and what he did is after the show, mm-hmm. he started a 50-mile joggle. So we were on the boardwalk. We took the, what was it, the, the, uh, the, the chairs down the boardwalk, and so we saw his, his start off after his right. show. Right, right. He did 50 miles and then still did two shows the next night. Right, right. Yeah, wow. Yeah, he's a, I mean, he's a great juggler. I mean, he's a very juggler. solid. Very rarely, one of those guys that very rarely dropped. He's a great numbers juggler. Yeah, he's really good. And what about uh, Nino Fradiani? Yeah, I know Nino. I like Nino's act a lot. You know, I like Nino. He's, he's um, people don't realize it, but Nino, you know, there's a lot of fast jugglers. You got Mario Baracek, Wally Eastwood, uh, a lot of speed jugglers. I'm trying to think of a few more that are really popular. Uh, Paul Ponce. Mm-hmm. But I would put Nino in that in that class. I would put him there with those guys for speed because I mean he's older now. He's in his 70s. He's still working. But when when Nino was young, if you look at films of Nino when he was young, I mean, he's as fast as any of them. He's quick. Yeah, I saw, him get him, I saw him work uh, early on. He was mm-hmm. one of the jugglers I saw in Vegas. Right, at the variety. Yeah, he was at the Flamingo for a long time. And his big thing was the rings. Having the rings, the, yeah, that's his, his comedy routine. Yeah, that, that's... Um, but, but his club juggling, fast, man. He's a fast club juggler, especially when he was young. He's very fast. And I guess the trivia that a lot of people don't know about Nino Fradiani was that he's for blind. most of his career, he's legally blind. Yeah, that's amazing, right? You can we see. went to his house afterwards, mm-hmm. and he was trying to show us like a business card. Right. And, and so he could do all this amazing juggling. Yeah. So very impressive that, that he could overcome that and be, once again, a guy who had a 30, 40 year fantastic career as a juggler. And, and he's still going now, you know, he's still, still, you know, looking for work and still going. He's still working? He still works. Yeah. Man. Wow. He was working. Wow. He was working. I mean, you know, I, I, those people inspire me because I want to go, I want to go have a long career too. I want to keep going. And when I see, you know, people like Nino and, and, uh, and Dieter and, and all those guys, my uncle and guys that went on that, for that length of time, they're the people that that now inspire me. You know, that I think about those guys. You know, and I want the guy that inspired me when I saw him in Vegas. Of course, I saw him way towards the end of his career. 
was Rudy Cardenas. Oh yeah, Rudy is another one. Yeah, he was a big inspiration to me as well. Yeah. Yeah, he must have been in his in his maybe sixties. Yeah. When yeah. I saw him, and that was certainly a different style of juggling too. The, the sort of would you call it like the Mexican circus style? I mean, uh, well, I, I guess Rudy started kind of started us out, but I worked a lot of shows when I was starting out, a lot of circuses, and they all had that that same kind of thing where they would do the uh, you know they do they do the balls, and then they would always do the the shaker cups. The balls in the pockets on the side and the weights and the hats. I mean, that was, you know, that was Rudy's thing. It was Rudy's routine. But I worked with a lot of jugglers, usually Mexican jugglers, that did that routine because of Rudy. I mean, Rudy was the one who started that. That I mean, he didn't start, he wasn't the first one to do any of those tricks. But he was the first one to put those things in that, um, in that kind of act. I mean, before Rudy, I mean, you didn't really see a lot of jugglers doing hats that were kind of dressed like Rudy was dressed. I mean, usually, uh, you know, you did hats, you were dressed kind of in a tux or something. It was like a kind of a gentleman juggler. But Rudy kind of changed that, I think. You know, he was the first one I saw dressed the way he, he was dressed, like more of a gymnast type thing and doing hats. Yeah, what impressed me about him too was his control over the two balls. Like oh, on the shoulders? Balls on his head and the balls on his shoulders. Yeah, great. Yeah, that was, that was, that's a great trick. I'd never seen anyone do that with the two on the shoulders. Great trick. And yeah, he kept so going. Two balls using just his head, like two small rubber, uh, about maybe... Right. Five inches, maybe, or yeah, they're small balls. They're, they used to, you can't find them anymore. They were zoomer balls, mm -hmm. used to be called the zoomer, zoomer balls. Yeah, right, zoomer, and that's what he used. And they're small balls, they're hard to spin, too, you know. I mean, because they're smaller than uh, like a volleyball, yeah. And, but that, and, that's uh, a trick nowadays you don't see very often is the two balls juggled just with the head, yeah. You don't see that very much. I remember, um, <laughs> well, uh, Montego, you know, he was doing that trick and he did it well. Mm -hmm. He did it really good, and then he stopped doing it. I said, "Why, you know, why, why you stop doing?" They said, "Well, I'm, I'm, my hair is, I'm losing my hair in the front because oh. <laughs> because of that move. You got to scrape the the ball scrapes when you when you make that angle, when you make that that motion, right? When you bounce the ball and you make that that movement, it, the ball scrapes your head a little bit. It's like and those it's like, uh, Chinese jar jugglers, the big big jars. Right, right, right. They always right. have that one bald spot where they do like this spin. It's, it's, exactly. Well, that, that's Montego. I guess Montego didn't want that, you know, so I, I guess he decided, well, it's not worth it. You know, I don't lose my hair because you look at Ernie now. He's got a great, great head of hair, you know, so. I never sought to see him. You know, he was uh, your your half uncle? Half uncle, yeah. Uh, yeah, my, you know, my mother and, and Francis, he was their half brother, you know, same same father, different mother. Now, was the story with him that he became a juggler un unknowing that his that his half-brother, Francis Brunn, was this great juggler? Was it just coincidence? Oh, yeah, it's just, it just happened. He went to see a movie, and in that, in that movie, he went to see in Germany when he was a kid. He saw Francis and my mom doing a, a little bit in this movie. It was like a newsreel-type type thing before the movie, you know, and um, he saw that, and uh, he said, man, that's what I want to do. That's so weird. It's a weird story. Yeah, he didn't realize that he was watching his own brother. Yeah, exactly. And then he went home and he made his own props and he started. And then, so what's the history of that? Because he did the Brun finish, the, the classic finish, on the unicycle. Was that something that he then asked Francis? Or was he doing that? I, I, I don't know. I don't no, think. It's a little too obscure. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't even think. They, they hadn't even met by then. You know, they didn't even meet until the, you know, I mean, Ernie was doing that, that trick in the, in the late 50s already, I'm pretty sure. And uh, they met in, in, in Las Vegas the first time Francis, uh, Ernie came to see a, to meet Francis in Las Vegas, you know, when he was working there in one of the shows in the 60s, in the, maybe the early or mid-60s, that's where they first met, I think, pretty and sure. I have, to, I have to put that trick, the the Ernest Montego doing that Brun finish. Yeah, that's a great trick. I had to put that on the top. Yeah, that's up there. That's a good one. Yep. Top five, this Ernest Montego finish. The uh, So it was, it was on the unicycle, idling on mm -hmm. one foot, spinning mm -hmm. two rings uh, on one leg, on the free right. leg, on the ankle and on the, the thigh. Right. 
you'd have a ball spinning on your left hand, I imagine, with two rings on spinning on that arm as well. Well, he would. Uh, I, I think the ball would be spinning on the on the right hand. Okay. And, and the uh, ring on that arm. Uh, the two rings on the right hand. The two rings on the on, on the on the right foot. I mean, on the right leg, and then um, and then uh, you know. Mouse stick though. A mouse stick and a head pedestal, or. Mouse stick and a head and a headpiece, and then the uh, three rings in the in the left hand. Yeah, I put that in my in my top three. Any particular yeah. tricks that you saw that you'd say, okay, as far as individual tricks mm-hmm. that really stand out as something that when you saw it, we're just like. Yeah, you know, the first one I saw, now, I don't know, now I see a lot of people doing it. And I guess maybe it's not as hard. Or, but I mean, it's hard. It's a hard trick. But I see a lot of people doing it. And at the time, which is probably eight or ten years ago, I'd never seen anyone do it. And I, I had to actually I had to rewind. Remember rewinding the tape? <laughs> right, right. Times. Sure. And I'm saying, is that even possible? I, I wouldn't have thought that was possible. Because, you know, years ago, there's a lot of things they do now we, don't, we didn't think were possible. Uh, you didn't think it were possible back then, but he, he, uh, it was a, a Russian guy. I can't think of his name. I don't even think I can pronounce his name. And he was on a, you know, he was on a globe. Oh, was, I know exactly the trick you're going to say. You know the trick I mean, right? Yeah, he had the head pedestal. Yeah, yeah. The ball yeah, bouncing the, on the pedestal. And then the five balls, yeah. And the five large balls. Pretty large, yeah. A little, a little smaller than a volleyball, but bigger than, you know, I mean. Such a great trick. He's on a rolling globe, which is a, a ball, and he has this... I guess there's a guy, uh, Artem. But there's a f- yeah, but then now there's a few guys doing it. I've seen qu- I, I've yeah. seen a bunch of guys doing this now, not on a ball, but they they were all they're all doing that trick. A lot of them are doing the trick. So I, I, I tried it. I tried to figure it out one time, and well, the first time I saw it, I thought it was some kind of gimmick because right? I just saw it real fast. It was kind of a you know it was, it was a VHS tape, and it was kind of it was a little uh, you know it was a little it wasn't real real uh, the quality was wasn't very good. Yes, and this guy doing the person who did it on the stilts. He did it at the IGA. That, that's that's he was at Circus Circus for a while. Yeah, and he had like the big flags and. Yeah, but the first time I saw it, I thought maybe this, you know, I thought it was like a gimmick thing that, that there was like just it was just one pole, with the ball connected or somehow it. Right. I didn't, and then I realized no, it's really he's actually doing that. That's a great. It's incredible. I wonder if the base of the pole was heavy in some way. I don't. I don't know. You know. I mean. It's just um, at the time it was like uh, you know, like, holy cow! Yeah, I don't know that guy's name, but the one thing I do know about that guy who did that trick was that he he died. He died in a car accident. accident. Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, it's really a shame. It's sad. Because yeah. that's got to be like I say in my top three as well. Well, he holds it, but it's also done very. He looks very elegant doing it. And he's you know, yeah. it just looks so good the way he did it. I think you know, of everybody I've seen do it, I think that's it's still the best one because. Just the way he looks doing it, it looks and so there, There's some Rudy Horn tricks like that as well, where not only are they hard tricks, but just the visual impression, like the one where he balances the hoop on his forehead and has like one on each leg and then is throwing the hoop sideways yeah, through the yeah. ring. It's just, you just yeah, like, great stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, let's talk about a few more jugglers and then uh, we'll yes. bring up to the, the current state of juggling and where you're at now. And But this is very interesting because we're getting some good historical. Uh, this is not one of the hardest working men in, in juggling. Dick Franco. How, how Dick far Franco. does your friendship go with Dick Franco? Go back. Dick Franco. Uh, let me think. Who's now? He's, <laughs> he's, a, he's a juggler. Yeah. He's a juggler. I don't think. Maybe I don't think. I don't think. Think Dick Francis was his real name. I believe he changed it to Franco. Franco. So he's a, he does ping pong balls too, right? I think he might have been uh, one of the James Franco's uh, kids that they didn't. Uh... Oh, that's who it is. No, Dick. Yeah, I've known. I mean, I've <clears throat> I've known Dick for. I met Dick around seventy, seventy four. Three or seventy-four, I think we met. Yeah, 70, 75, I think I met Dick. I know the first time I met him, he came to a Globetrotter game with Paul Bachman. Mm-hmm. That's the first time I met him, and they had uh, 
video cameras, you know? Right. They both filmed me, but they filmed me from two different angles. That was the first time I met Dick. And anytime there's a film online, I, I put online, it's, it's an old film, 40 years ago, over 40 years ago, of me with the Globetrotters. It's a good film. I mean, I did a good show. But that film is, Dick Franco took that film. So if anybody's interested, that's a Dick Franco special there. So My favorite thought, uh, Michael Chirik film was you from Circus Circus Reno. Oh, so, oh Circus Circus Reno. Because I remember seeing that and just thinking like, oh my God, where is that venue? That's the most incredible looking venue I've ever seen. And uh, you go to Reno and see that venue, you go, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, just people standing around and yeah. Yeah, but, but for, for me as a young juggler, it looks so, you know. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, Circus Circus, I mean, it was, at the time, it was a tough place for me. Now it wouldn't bother me, but at the time, it, uh, I mean, I was there like, I, I did two years in Las Vegas and what, two and a half years in Las Vegas and I did almost a year in Reno. At the time, it was tough for me. That was a tough job because I just, you know, the people running around. I used to come off, man. I was so mad all the time. I remember I'd do these great shows and everything would piss me off. Every little thing I would, you know, I'd get upset about. It was hard. And how, it was many, hard how many shows a day would you do in a gig like was, that? I, I think I was doing 16 a week. Okay. When I there, 16 a week. Um, looking back now, it's, it was a great job. Just didn't realize it. There's a lot of things you realize later that you, did, you didn't realize when you were doing it, you know. It's just, well, when I picture your act, I picture that video. I picture, like, this young, vital guy coming out with the... Yeah, yeah, with the nunchucks. sort of jumpsuit and the nunchucks, and yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Big inspiration on me back in my, my early... Well, thank you. My, yeah, anyway, yeah, it was, it was a good time. I mean, it was, it was good, the Circus Circus thing. It was a lot of work, and you're young, you can do a lot of shows. And, and of course, that brings us to his, uh, his prodigy, the... The, the fantastic Tai Tojo. Oh, yeah, great stuff. Yeah, he, he's, he's, I mean, yeah. He's, he's, well, he's a natural with the balls. You know, he's, he's a natural. You know, he's got Dick there to help him. Yeah. This doesn't hurt. You know, he's got him coaching him. And uh, he just has that feel for those balls, you know. And he strikes uh, me as uh, one of the, the, the only modern examples of this sort of style. Right, he right. He's a very, like, old school style. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's great. That's one of the things I like about him, you know. Yeah, it's just, it's just, and he's learning from using razzle dazzle. Yeah, no, he's great. I remember Ty when he was starting out because um, he was just doing three balls. Dick was showing him the three balls, and then he's like, I blinked, and he's doing all this phenomenal stuff. It's like it just came overnight. It's so weird, you know. It's just, well, I think his, his seven ball routine, I think, is probably the most crazy, yeah, difficult routine ever ever performed by anyone, and that includes uh, Anthony Gatto. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's a crazy. He's just like I said, man. He's a, he's a natural with that prop. You know, he's just really good with it. And, and like we like we were saying, he's got the showmanship, which is such a nice combination to see nowadays. Very good on stage. Excellent performer. Yeah, he's got it, man. He's got everything everything he needs. I I, I told I told Dick, man. I said the guy, you know, he can, you, this kid can just go out with the ball. He doesn't need the boxes. He don't need anything, man. Just do an act with just the balls. That's all he needs because he's so good with those. When so when he's got to do seven eight minutes, sure, it's great to do all those things. He's good with the boxes as well. But, man, he can just go out with the balls and just do that one prop, man, and just do great stuff. Incredible I wish they saw a video. It was the first nine-ball back cross flash. Uh-huh. I don't think he caught it. I don't think he caught him, but, you know, all nine behind his back with out of a nine-ball cascade. So that brings us to Anthony Gatto, who mm-hmm. I guess uh, is sort of has retired for, I think, maybe almost a year now. Yes, yeah, I guess. I what, do you, what do you think about his overall career? and how, Where would you place him in sort of the historical context uh, for jugglers yeah i mean as a just you know a toss juggler he's probably he was probably the best one you know that that's my take that if you looked at pure technical skill especially what he was able to do yeah it's great in his act yeah i put him number one technically for sure 
Yeah, technically, he's probably number one. I know, I know Francis thought that because we talked about him quite a bit. You know, he said, man, this guy is just phenomenal. But I'll be honest with you, I wasn't a big fan of Anthony's uh, in the beginning. Even though he was doing incredible stuff when he was young, I said, yeah, you know, it's great. But, you know, I don't know, I just was lacking something. But all of a sudden, man, everything changed. And he had his personality and everything really came out, you know. And uh, well, maybe when he, he went to have his wife assisting him more than Nick. Everything kind of changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For me, but, it was um, about Anthony, the time he did that circus festival. Um, was it what's that called? That's the uh... Uh, Monaco Circus yeah. Uh, Monaco. Yeah, but even before that, he was still. I mean, because when I saw him, I saw him in Los. I, I don't know Anthony well. I mean, I only met him once personally. Oh, uh, we communicate a lot on on, and we used to communicate a lot on the, on the internet. But I don't really know him personally that well. I saw him in in um, when he was in Las Vegas. I guess it was uh, you know one of those shows there when he was with his wife. I think he was with his wife then, mm-hmm. and he was already it was he was starting to change, and he was really coming out, and it was it was different, you know, it changed a lot. Well, I saw him all the way from back in like the the nudes on ice, Linda, First Lady of Magic days. Yeah, I, I didn't really see him much back then. And I mean, then, I saw you know, him... then it relied a lot, of course, on the fact that he was young, you know, mm-hmm. uh, sort of a prodigy, maybe, and was still wearing the the short pants. The shorts, yeah, right. And he never missed. He yeah, no, I, I know he's just, great. Yeah, he was so solid. And he had a lot of good variety, but then he started to move and started to just really epitomize to me a, a real professional presence. Yeah, he changed a lot. Um, and, uh, and also, man, I, this is a guy, I mean, this guy could have went out there just doing a three-club routine. His kick-ups were good, too. I mean, mm-hmm. he, does a, he did some nice three-club work, just the three clubs. You know, he could have went out just with, with clubs. He could have did three. Well, I think he's the kind of juggler who, no matter what he de- did. Yeah, it was also good, yeah. <laughs> he'd pick it up pretty quick, and he would, he would excel at it for sure. Oh, yeah he's, yeah, he's one of the greats, man, no doubt about it, yeah. Definitely. Now, what do you feel about sort of the new juggling style? I look at this sort of style now with the, the yeah. especially with the club juggling, where there's lots of starting and stopping. And- yeah, you know, it's um, I, I, you know, I, it's really interesting. A lot of it is a lot of repet. It's very repetitive sometimes. It's uh, some of it I like, you know. Some of it's really interesting. The older, some of the other jugglers, the older jugglers, I get excited when I watch them. I mean, there's something about the music that's, you know, when I, mm-hmm. I remember when I was a kid, I mean, I, I'd watch Francis. I was, you know, maybe 13 or 14 years old. I mean, I, was, I didn't know anything about juggling and I didn't want to be a juggler, but I used to watch his act and I used to get chills. And to get chills when you're that age, right? Uh, it's not that, you don't get that often. That doesn't happen that often. But with Francis, and it was just the way he was. It wasn't, it wasn't the tricks. I don't know one trick from another, but it was just the way that act was, the way it was presented, the music, the, the stops, the cuts. And I don't see that kind of thing in the new style of juggling. Everything, some of the music, it just, it kind of goes on. I don't know, it's just, I like, I mean, I look at the guys like Wes Peaton and these guys, and um, yeah, it's phenomenal what they're, some of the stuff they're doing is incredible. But a lot of it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't really excite me, as good as the, a lot of it is. Well, I have to admit, I feel similar in that sense. I'll watch a juggler. Now, I like to sit at the edge of my seat when I'm, when I'm watching a juggler. I want to get hit hard, man, and grew up around a different kind of thing, and I, I it's just the way I feel about a lot of that. Not all of it, but it's, some of it's a little a little repetitious for, for my, my taste, you know. And, I know if I if I watch somebody, no matter how good it is, and after like a minute I go, okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah, right. So I, oh, I won't watch anymore. I go, yeah. it's more, it, even though there's more different variations coming, and it. And, uh, but a lot of it's a very rich. A lot of it can be repetitive. Yeah, uh, Chris Cremo. Once again, and the thing that that inspired me about Chris Cremo was the way he got the audience excited like not because i was loving it sure was yeah going like wow he the people here are loving this juggling the way he was able to bring it to the people and get them behind it 
Yeah, right, sure. Yeah, but uh, Chris, I mean, he has a great personality. Plus, I mean, uh, he his speed with three balls, people don't realize, I mean, he doesn't have a lot of repetition in that routine. I don't know how long his three-ball routine is, maybe three, four minutes, I don't know, three and a half minutes. But, I mean, he's, uh, he's not repeating himself so much. You know, a lot of these guys now, they do three balls, but they're doing the same thing over and over again. I mean, if you watch a guy, the, um, the guy who juggles to the uh, Beatles thing. Oh, Chris Bliss. Okay, everybody goes crazy about it. He's just doing the same thing over and over again. It's basically... A three ball, you know, he's got like a three minute three ball routine. And it's, you know, it's two minutes of repetition. It's the same thing over and over. Well, I guess his thing to was to kind of visually represent what the music was. Yeah, doing. but that's what it is. But it, it's still the it kind of, the, I mean, for me, this is just my opinion. It's yeah. like the same thing over and over, you know, he's just doing the same things over. You take a guy like Chris, uh, everything is different. I mean, his whole routine, he's going here and there. He's all over the place, but it's, it's not, he's not repeating anything. If you watch it, even if you watch it in slow motion, he's, He's not repeating things he's doing. He's doing different. Everything is a different trick. You know, everything he's doing is, and just to work with that, with that sport, with that, with that suit on is not easy either. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to do that. That's not that easy, man. And he makes it. It's so effortless. And his hat, his hat and cigar work is just excellent, man. I mean, he's a. It's a great act. I mean, Chris is great. You know. Well, I guess for me, the proof of these some of the new jugglers would be, I would need to see them. In a show for a regular audience, you see well, Chris Jugglers at a festival. Yeah, you got to see him in a show. Another one I really like is uh, Francoise Rocher. Oh yeah, Francoise is great. I even work with the way they, she works with the music and and the she, feeling and the expression. The mm -hmm. audience just falls in love, and I, I think it's. Uh, yeah, she's a great juggler. You know? it's, I think that's the one thing lacking in some of the modern jugglers. Right. It's for me, a cohesiveness mm -hmm. of yeah. the experience. But it just could be that I'm old school, and, and uh, I remember yeah, one time uh, I like that too. I mean, I, I'm when, when I said before about the way I feel about a lot of the, the newer juggling. You know, I mean, I I like these guys. I mean, I watch uh, uh, like videos of Wes, and I watch the, all of them to see what they're up to and what they're doing. You know, I mean, uh, the other guy, uh, Jay Gilligan, sure, and those guys. Um, I mean, I like I like a lot of the stuff they're doing, but they do so many different things. They get into so many different things that. I like some of it. Some of it, it doesn't really, it's not my thing. You know, dig it. I like it. You know, it's good. I think the one, uh, Tony Pezzo just put one out because mm -hmm. it's a complete show. It's like uh, about nine minutes. Oh, really? no, no edits. So to see, once again, when you see someone on video and you know there's tons of edits and they kind of are sort of giving us their greatest hits. Yeah, I know that. Well, you know, I, I don't, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I kind of, I don't watch really a lot of juggling videos. Some people send me links from time to time. And yeah. I'll, but I don't, I don't, I don't really scour the internet looking for. Uh, I do when on. they come on my Facebook. Yeah, well, that too. I, I look at some of them. You know, I, I watch, uh, see what the the West is doing and, mm -hmm. and those guys. You know, uh, yeah, I like to see what they're doing. And I like Sean Blue a lot too. Is another guy I like. Yeah, I like uh, Kyle but, Driggs. I like him. Yeah, I saw him. You know, I, I've seen him. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I like those guys. It's a, it's a whole different thing, though. It's, it's. Um, but different. the time you come up with because I went back. I think yeah. last week I saw a video. That to me is still in my heart as good as anything I've ever seen, which mm -hmm. was Air Jazz, their 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 club routine, their club passing. All right, yeah, I remember them, yeah. <laughs> so you know, I one time I talked to a, a modern juggler and I said, "Oh yeah," he goes, "Who are your your two favorite jugglers?" Mm -hmm. And I'm like, uh, "Well, two of my favorites are Chris Cremo and Peter Davison." Peter Davison, yeah. And he said to me, he "Goes, oh, that's death." <laughs> <laughs> you know, as if like that style, that old, it was like to him. Right, right. That right. was like he just said, "That's death." I'm like, "Okay, you know." Yeah, well, you know, it's like you know, it's what you what you've grown up around, what you've been around, you know. Oh yeah, and I, I admire a lot of the current stuff. Give me, I mean, give, me I mean, first, give me some Chris Cremo. Right. I mean, when I was starting out, I didn't even um, I wasn't even paying attention 
to any jugglers who didn't spin a ball. You know, I mean, to me, it was just about about the ball jugglers. That's all I wanted to see. I wasn't interested in numbers jugglers. I didn't care about uh, someone like Ignatov. I couldn't care less. It didn't do anything for me. All I wanted to see was like Rudy Cardenas. I wanted to see uh, Francis. I wanted to see Italo Medini. I wanted to see Montego. I just wanted to see guys doing this kind of work that I was interested in. And the rest of juggling, uh, it didn't it didn't really you know matter to me. I mean, I. It, it took me a while to, to get into like uh, watching Chris and stuff. You know, I, I finally realized, oh man, this is good stuff. And I um, like when we, when I started out, there were so few sources. I mean, we only watched basically people's professional acts. Yeah. And one of the, the one of the films I watched that was was pretty amazing, and maybe you have some recollections about this as well, was uh, Sergei Ignatov. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I actually enjoy watching it now more than I did when he was really. At the height of his thing. I think that famous that. film I was taken once again by Paul Bachman, I believe, who's going to be on a, a future podcast. Uh, I think that was 1971, his first yeah, that trip could to be, America. Yeah. Right, that could be, yeah. yeah. Another great juggler, you know. Now, he's a juggler who I think, like, if you look at the overall career arc, like what you did, mm-hmm. she did cruises, you did halftimes, you did nightclubs, you did review shows, opening acts, right. you know, corporate appearances, TV appearances. And then when I think of a career like Ignatov, I think here's a guy who probably spent his, the bulk of his career with the Moscow Circus, with the circus. Yeah, and mostly circuses. I, yeah, I don't even know. Um, I'm sure he worked some, some clubs and things somewhere, but I, I don't know. I mean, probably circus, uh, circuses, you know, mostly. And I think the circus route has sort of the, one of the shortest tenures. Yeah. Well, now the circus has changed so much now. It's not like, you know, it's another thing. It's not like it was before. You know, as a guy, it's all Cirque du Soleil now. It's all completely different you know and if you don't match up about an, uh, a juggler like victor keys that's someone you you oh, I, I like his stuff i mean, especially the first time i saw him yeah oh yeah interesting stuff yeah i liked i like vladek as well you know similarity there you know i like um i like vladek i just saw a video of him yeah i like what he's doing too i saw one where he was uh had an aerial aspect like he was flying across I, the stage I saw that one recently yeah but yeah. his stuff just on the on the you know the stuff he does on the ground i mean i didn't even care that much about the aerial part of it just the stuff he's doing the way he moves so I like acts like that that kind of go together. Everything you go from one thing to another. I mean, I got that just from watching Francis and my mother. Was that yeah, they were? Yeah, my mother. I mean, the way she worked with uh, just going doing a figure eight around two props. I mean, that's just her style, and everything went into another thing. Francis Montego, they all had that thing. It's the way I wanted to, you know, myself. I wanted to do that kind of thing because I like just the way it looked. One I mean, story I heard about Francis was that he didn't really want people to applaud during the show. It was more like. Did you try to have it seamless so they just applaud at the end, like like, more like a dance number? I think he had made a comment once that he would like to go out once and just nobody applauds during the act and just everything at the end, something like he had made a comment on some interview or something about something like that. He would like to do a show where nobody claps at all. Oh, you're talking about his act, doing his act? Well, I remember that because I remember a story I heard about him where he was he, he had a, a little dog mm-hmm. and he was on stage and he had like the tennis ball on his foot. Because he used to do that one tennis ball routine. And some, I don't know if this could be just a, a made-up story, but somehow the dog got loose. The dog came out and grabbed the ball. Yeah. Grabbed the ball. And it, it I heard that huge... story. I don't know much about that, but I remember the story now. But I, I, I don't know exactly what that's... But if we're, if we're me, that dog would be running out every night. Yeah, yeah, it's a good bet. Yeah. You know? and, and for him, it was like, no, no, that's not that's yeah, not right, happen. Yeah, right. It reminds me of, uh, who was it, uh... Maximiliano Truzzi, who one of his biggest things was he would do the bit as well, where he'd throw out the, the ball and have it and catch it on the mouth stick. And the, the clown Emmett Kelly uh-huh. would be in the audience uh, selling popcorn. 
Well, that's the old popcorn gag, yeah. yeah so he threw yeah. out the ball, and Emma Kelly would throw the popcorn everywhere. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's the old popcorn. Yeah, a lot of people did that. that that's old, real old school stuff. Yeah, they. Uh... But you know, so when something like that gets the biggest response from your audience, uh, then you have to decide. You know, am I am I an act where where that's what I'm going for? Like for myself, that's what I'm going for is whatever whatever they respond to the most. Uh, but uh, I think back in the day, maybe people were more, and even like these new jugglers, I think are, are, are have a different tact where it's still about their personal vision. I don't want to say at the expense of the audience experience, but it doesn't seem as, as the priorities are, I want to entertain them first and then entertain myself. For yeah. me, that's, I think, I've always said I'm a commercial artist. Right. Like I'm an artist, but it's all kind of through this prism of entertaining and getting paid for it. <laughs> so. Right, sure. I mean, yeah. Kind of kind of mercenary in that fashion. So. No, I know what you mean. It's good to make money. Well, I think this, this podcast has been pretty wide ranging. So give us give us a lowdown. What kind of what kind of show are you in now? You're in Bramson. Yeah, I'm doing a show here three days a week. It's called Lafternoon. Because mm-hmm. it's a daytime show. You're saying it's around. Uh... Yeah, it's around one o'clock. It's that uh, really sounds like a nice gig. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. It's, you know, it's nice. I mean, we're still doing it. It's just um, three days a week, one o'clock. It's going good. I got, I got an old friend in there that uh, a ventriloquist I worked with 40, 40 years ago. We worked together in Miami, named Sammy King. And he's a close friend, you know, so it's really nice to, to work with him again after all these years. He's a great, a great act, you know, so he's in there with me. So that's that's made it really nice. And now to finish up, I want to I want you to look back over this long career, this 45 years. And if you could give like a, a, a guy starting today, a guy who, who you know, came up juggling and has decided to himself, OK, I want to see if I can be a professional juggler. If you could sit that guy down and give him, let's say, three pieces of advice, right? Would you? What would you? What would you? Pretend I'm that juggler for a second. I come to you and say, Michael, I, I think I'm a pretty good juggler. I want to do this professionally. What's your advice to me? Well, what I would say now isn't the same thing I would have said 25, 30 years ago. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, now I mean, if you want to make make a, make money, I would say learn everything, man. Learn, you know, don't. Don't specialize in anything. This this is just what I would say if you want to make a living doing this sure. now the way the way it is now. I'd say learn everything. I mean, just learn learn clubs, learn rings. Like a guy like Niels Dunker, he's got the right idea. Because if you want to make a living now, I mean, you eventually. I mean, everything is going to ships now. I mean, it's all ships, ships. You know, everything is is it's mm-hmm. all happening on ships, and you've got to do time. That's what they want. And I would say, man, learn everything. Get humor. Do do humor. Learn to ride a unicycle because they're all doing that. I mean, that's what I would say now, the way the right. business is right now. That's one of the things if you want to make money. Because so you think the day of like the, like your act, like the eight minute act, what you'd call the I, flat I, act? I think it is, man. I think it's over. You know, I mean, I, I don't see, you know, unless you're in Europe, I mean, there's only so many, so, only so many places to work. You know, where are you going to go? You, I mean, ships are coming, you know, mm-hmm. now I mean, everything is on ships and you got to do time. So, I mean, unless you're in Cirque du Soleil or working in Europe. You have to do a lot of stuff and you have to do a lot of time. It's better to do a lot of stuff and just be good with those things you're doing. I'm not saying just ignore sure. not, not do well with it, but I'm saying don't go crazy with it. And it's better to learn a lot of little things and be okay with them than just to specialize in seven minutes of, of, of stuff. Right, because when they ask you to First, fill up 60 minutes or maybe even nowadays like 245s. They want you to do all this stuff. God, I see guys that go out with a unicycle and they kill 20 minutes. <laughs> Just right, with right. a unicycle and five audience members. And I, every other act is doing this now. 
know, and it's like, I don't know, it's it's like a mandatory on ships now. Like everybody's doing this, you know what I'm saying? From a business point of view, if you look at the ships, I think they want to create kind of a template experience. So when they hire a juggler, they kind of know this is what the comedy juggler does. That's what they've got. But that's, uh, you know, I don't know how good that is for the business, but that's what it is now. You know, I'm not going to put it down. If they're making money, they're, they're doing fine. You know, that's what it's, well, it's really. It's kind, of, it's kind of unfortunate for people who have a unique vision. A friend of it mine, is. I think it might have been Ivan, was saying he got on it because Ivan was one of these guys who has sort of broken the mold a bit by not doing the unicycle, by you know having some uh, more of a technical approach than some of the right. other comedy jugglers. And he says he got on a ship one time, and and the guy leading him through the backstage was saying, "Okay, so when you when you when you hang on the curtain when you're riding the unicycle, right <laughs> yes. here, yeah, right, right, and right. when you're gonna drop the bowling ball over the guy from the audience, you, you'll you'll want to do it here." So you already had a vision of what exactly the comedy juggler role right. is supposed to be. Well, you know, I'm going to tell you, when I started out, it was so different that it was, I would have said the opposite. I was said, learn to do, you know, take a few props or whatever and just practice yeah. as much as you can with those things and become really great with those things. But now it's like the opposite. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that if you want to make money. If you want to do it for yourself, go for it. But if you, if you want to make money, I would concentrate more on just doing as much time as you can and. And where, where do you think someone could get the, get a start nowadays? I mean, because you can't get right into the ships. Is there... I don't know, man. <laughs> Some of yeah. them are. <laughs> I don't know. You know, you know well, there used I, to be I, jobs, I like there was that one in, in Holland, America, the village in Japan, where guys would do four or five shows a day. They paid like seven fifty a week. Yeah, I don't know. The guys would go out there for six months and just... I don't know where, where, they, uh, where they... I mean, I know I, I, there's so many now on ships. I see there's new ones every day. I get links. People send me links. Uh, sometimes it's just for fun. They're yeah. sending these links of how the stuff that they're actually hiring, they can't believe it, so they send it to me. Right. Stuff is just, I mean, a lot of these, these guys, uh, 30 years ago, they would have never been able to do that, make a living with what they're doing, because there would have been no place to do that. They would never hire an act like that in a review show, because these guys, they couldn't do seven minutes of something really good. I mean, they, it takes them an hour just to get rolling. It's well, all... like when we came up, me and Barry, at least we sort of hit this uh, this time in TV where there was sort of a comedy boom. Right. So it's yeah, really so important it's... to be able to do like a six-minute yeah, TV the, spot. Yeah, the, but a lot of guys can't do that. I mean, a lot of them now they can't really do that because uh, single guys go out there now. I mean, the, I don't want to get well, into like one it. One routine could be, like you say, like they're, they're, they're do their unicycle routine. That's 10 minutes of getting the people from the audience, helping them up on the unicycle. Yeah, I know. But so many do it, you know. I mean, I, this is a, such an. I mean, this bit I used. You know, every street juggler back in, back in the old days used to do that, man. I mean, geez, I mean, the the, the volantes. They started this back in the in the sixties. <laughs> that was the big bit, and they were working review shows because they had a real class act, and they did great stuff on the on the bike. You know, they did some really great stuff, and they right. did that one bit trying to get somebody to help them. And th they're the ones. The first time I saw that bit, and this was way before anybody else was doing it. And now every. But he does it because it doesn't take a lot of skill. It just, it just, yeah. All you have to do basically is learn how to ride a unicycle. Well, so. I think one piece of advice I would give, and this maybe could help us um, wrap up things, is that it's important to sort of know what comes before you. You know, know the the, the people who sort of broke in juggling. Well, and, sure, it's good to know history. I mean, but a lot of them don't care about that. You know, I don't think a lot of them. Well, some of them do now. I think they're getting more into it now. It's nice of uh, someone like David Kane to. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, have a, he has a museum and he's you know trying to keep these things alive, which is nice. You know, Carl Heinz did that, and it's nice to see David doing that, and Herman Sagamuller did that, and it's nice to keep uh, keep that alive. 
you know. Well, that's what we're trying to do here on this podcast, and, and that's and you're another one. You know, you 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 care about the history, and uh, nice to have people like that doing that. Dick Franco and Alan Howard and all those guys. You know, I mean, keeping it Paul Bachman. It's nice for them to keep to keep all that alive. And one more thing, of course, you got to save your money for the young jugglers. Save everything you make because you never know what's around the corner, man. Save your money. <laughs> Very that's important. Fun. I always say that there's three skills in money. <laughs> Number one is you have, to, you have to be able to make money. It's important. Number two, you have to be able to save money. And number three, you have to have that money you save work for you. Yeah, well, that too. So for you guys who, who are listening to this, uh, these young jugglers and also the jugglers who have already done some research into the history of juggling, you know, keep at that. So it's been my pleasure to talk to the legendary Michael Shirick. I hope you enjoyed Drop Everything, podcast number eight, my conversation with Michael Shirek. So remember, get good at lots of different stuff, save your money, have a successful 45-year career, and maybe someday you'll be able to be on the Drop Everything podcast uh, with me, Dan Holzman, and be as cool as Michael Shirek. It'd be hard, pretty hard to be as cool as Michael Shirek, but try your best in every situation and you can't go too far wrong. All right. Let's thank our sponsor, the IJA, International Juggling Association. Go to juggle.org, find out about the great organization that is the International Juggling Association. Thanks to my engineer, the lovely Karen Holzman, and come back next time for podcast number nine with mystery special guests still to be determined. All right, drop everything except when you're juggling, and good day, Americans and Europeans, and whoever else might be listening. <laughs>